I want to thank all of you for your participation in this. I know it's uh, meant more work for you, but I think it's been good work for you. So thank you. Appreciate all of the efforts you've put into it and that you've brought to uh, our meetings. We are in Proverbs chapter 28, and I am going to start with verse 26. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Delivered from what? Well, delivered from the destruction that comes from trusting in your own heart. To trust in your own heart is to subjectively decide, that is, to decide according to your personal or human unregenerated beliefs, values, principles, fears, desires, impulses, whims. It's to subjectively decide right and wrong, happiness and unhappiness, love and selfishness, justice and injustice. When you make your unconverted, impure heart, as the scriptures speak of our heart, when we make that the basis for decision-making, it's dangerous because circumstances, time of life in which you're in, uh, the influence of others, these are not fixed entities. If I followed my heart in my 20s, which I did to some degree, uh, I am now living some of the consequences of that. Where I quit following my heart in my 20s, I have been rescued from the consequences that would have occurred had I continued following my heart. And today, being of this age, I'm glad for those occasions where I didn't follow my heart in my 20s. Circumstances, time, myself, it's changed. My heart is not in the same place, not wishing, desiring for the same things. So when we make following our heart the basis for decision-making, it's dangerous. The goal is to make God and his word the basis for decision-making. That's where wisdom is. That's where the immovable anchor is. And that's where we can head in a healthy direction. So instead of following our heart, we need to follow God and his word. There's a couple of scriptures I'd like us to look at. Somebody look up Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 8. Well-known portion, but okay, Todd. And Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Okay, Allison. While they're looking that up, I do want to say that the current popular saying, follow your heart, which is pretty popular nowadays, it's not true wisdom. It may be a legitimate, honest, sincere effort to set people free to do the things that they really want to do rather than being pressed or pushed into something they don't want to do. Follow your heart. Don't get uh, pushed into something you don't want. And, and that's a, an honest, good effort. But it's not true wisdom. 
Because following your heart, especially in the way it's used today, uh, puts your focus on pleasing self. And when that becomes your focus, you lose sight of an appropriate consideration for what is truly important, and that is pleasing God, loving your neighbor as yourself, seeking the good of the community. What about prior commitments and uh, true godliness? One of the things that I run into on a fairly regular basis in marriage counseling is that people who are married forget that they made a commitment to each other many years ago, and now they're wanting to make commitments to job or to this thing or that thing, which works against the commitment they made to each other. Well, which commitment came first? Where did you give your word first? Probably when you were standing up in front of the pastor and the congregation and you made a commitment to love your spouse. And then you get further down the road in life and you want other commitments to supplant that one. Really, it's what you're doing. But... If that's following your heart, it's breaking your word as well. So the idea of following your heart in our culture today, to me, is not wisdom. It uh, takes us in the wrong direction. Okay, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, or 5 through 8, sorry. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Yes. In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these idolites. All right, someone else? So uh, for that verse Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Yeah. It's the, what are the dangers of following or trusting or <coughs> using our heart to discern? I remember uh, Dr. Bill Bright on his writings of um, Camps Crusade for Prince Days, he had this uh, idea that uh, your, your feelings or your heart, how you feel about things, uh, should be the caboose and your faith based on knowledge, knowledge of, like we said, God and His Word, should be the engine in your life of faith mm-hmm. so that uh, your feelings uh, aren't driving your life. But it doesn't disregard feelings as being a part of your life. It's just a thing. It's not driving. Someone else? 
uh, verse uh, 14. Blessed is a man who always fears, but one who hardens his heart falls into trouble. And uh, I believe it's not talking about irrational fear, but the fear of the Lord. Uh, blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, so to speak. Or, uh, but the one who hardens his heart falls into trouble. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To harden the heart against the fear of the Lord is dangerous both to the soul and to just life in general. Uh, there's uh, many places in the scriptures where the fear of the Lord is taught, uh, it's commended, and it's commanded. <clears throat> and uh, uh, Proverbs 23, don't let your heart envy sinners, but rather fear Yahweh all day long. Uh, in Psalm 112, uh, praise Yah, blessed is the man who fears Yahweh, who delights greatly in his commandments. And then uh, in Isaiah 66, my, God says, My hand made all these things, all that you can see. And so all these things came to be, says Yahweh. But I will look to this man, even to the one who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Uh, <clears throat> Romans 11, true. But he's talking about the, the Jews, uh, the Original branches were broken off so that uh, the Gentiles could be grafted. And he says, true, by their unbelief they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Don't be conceited, but fear. For if God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Uh, there's uh, other verses, but uh, one other for about fearing the Lord is in First Peter. Peter writes, if you call on him as father without respect of persons, judges according to each man's work. Ask the time of your living as foreigners here in reverent fear. And then uh, on the other half, there's uh, the danger of hardening your heart against the fear of the Lord. Uh, All right, what were you on? 14, was it? Uh, I think so. Yeah, okay, let's go back there. Catch me up to where you were. So I talked about some, read some verses related to uh, the fear of the Lord, and then uh, some, a few verses related to uh, hardening the heart. Uh, in Proverbs 29, it says, He who is often rebuked and stiffens his neck will be destroyed suddenly with no remedy. Uh, there's uh, stories of uh, Pharaoh hardening his heart, uh, both when Moses was in the court, uh, performing miracles and uh, telling him to let uh, God's people go. And also, I think one of the biggest things, of what, which doesn't say about hardening the heart, but in Exodus 14, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the middle of the sea. Uh, I, I don't know, but it seems like maybe at the time it made sense, but if... if uh, People are saying, hey, our God is powerful, and he's going to take us out of the land. And that God parts the sea. I don't think you should go in after him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's a good idea. Uh, you, uh, it just seemed like they had to, by that point, have hardened their hearts enough so much that this made sense. It somehow their God who can part the sea so that this nation can walk right through it Somehow they're going to beat him at his game, right? And that's but that's what we do when we harden our hearts. We we make we we tell our things that things make sense that make no sense. And so it's ultimately again the warnings against hardening the hearts that's disastrous to us. 
Uh, and then it just in Romans, he says, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and patience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Right? How do we harden our heart to despise the, the goodness of God uh, rather than allowing it, uh, choosing to fear the Lord and letting those things lead us to repentance? Do you have that portion open? Romans 2, 4 to I don't have the whole, no, just that verse. Okay. Because verse 5 says, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that Mark makes an interesting point, but he also makes it from his own view of life. He's much more cautious than I have been. And uh, I would probably come up to the Red Sea and think, you know, million and a half people, they all got across there. That was a pretty long time that water was separated. It could stay separated longer. Right? I mean, wouldn't you think that? Mark wouldn't, I realize, but <laughs> I would. I'd be thinking, man, if it stayed apart that long, it's going to stay apart even longer. So I would have gone. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. It's not wise to head into those situations not knowing what's going to happen. Or the pride to think you can catch them before they got across. Well, that's too, That's true, too. But God, you see, I envision this right or wrong. The picture I have is the cloud that God put between them kept the army back long enough that probably most of them were across because uh, the water closed in, I would guess, after they were at least far enough in that most of the army, if not all the army, was in the trench of dry ground. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, to me, 14 is, is a good good proverb for us because it's easy to harden our heart. One of the things that we don't often think about is if I read the scriptures, and we are taught as Christians to read the scriptures, if I read the scriptures and don't put into practice what I read, then I have to harden my heart against that truth. I, I would guess you don't really think of yourself as doing that, but the truth in the Word of God is made to teach us, convict us, show us the right path. And when I ignore it, I have to harden something against it. I have to push it away from me. And uh, it's very easy for us as believers, I think, to uh, harden our own hearts against certain portions of the Word of God uh, that we just ignore or overlook or choose not to apply to ourselves. Yeah, thanks. Someone else? Can you speak to the opposite side of the coin? Yeah, go ahead. If you chose to not hurt your heart, do what you know is right. You grow in sensitivity. One of the things that has been, was written many, many years ago, and I find it to be true, and that is the more godly you become, the more you're aware of how ungodly not only you have been, but you still are. You, you see it more. And my picture in my head is when we see God, who is perfectly holy, that level of holiness, I suspect, at least for me, is going to make me feel like, wow, I'm not even close. <laughs> not even on the edge. I mean, that's perfect holiness. And 
whatever holiness we achieve in this life, as good as it may be, uh, I just can't imagine it comes close to God's holiness. Just uh, but that's part of growing and learning. And, and think of the brand new believer and, and the immature believer and uh, the wayward believers. I mean, their idea of holiness and goodness is a far cry from mature Christians who have grown far enough to become much more holy. So, yeah. Yeah, you get more sensitive if you don't harden your heart. <laughs> and that's good. Someone else. Like on 22, God doesn't like us. People being stingy, that leads to poverty. Yes, that's good, Dean. Um, you have a Bible there, Dean. Open that Bible. Can you get to Proverbs 13, 11? Yes, I can. Okay, you look up Proverbs 13, 11. Oh, wait a minute. Was that 22? Yes. Yeah, it was 22. Oh, okay. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. It's like what I like about that verse is it reminds me of that going back to that crop story all the time. Okay, good. That's Proverbs 13, verse 11. Why don't you read that? While he's getting there, uh, I have said this before. Uh, sin makes us mentally ill. So I'll, I'll say it this way today. The way of sin makes us irrational. Giving way to greed makes us foolish. Gratifying evil desires blinds us to the long-term consequences of our evil choices and behavior. I got it. One of the things, okay, we'll get there in just a minute. All right, no problem. One of the things that I have found in my own life and observe in other people's lives is as I give free reign to my uh, evil desires, my passions, my whims, my longings, it uh, truly blinds me to stopping and considering What's going to happen in five years if I keep this up? What's going to happen in ten years? What will happen to the children? What will happen to the church? That's just gone. I mean, that doesn't even enter my mind. Because all I'm focused on in those moments is just gratifying this sense of need. And so gratifying evil desires blinds us to the long-term consequences of our choices and behavior. Getting away with evil for a time promotes the belief that we can continue getting away with it. Right? If you can get away with it for a week or a month, then why not go for two months? And pretty soon you think you're never going to get caught. Uh, but all of this is really a lie. Okay, Proverbs 13, 11. Okay. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whatever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Okay. Wealth obtained by fraud, the New American Standard says, dwindles, disappears. Yep, someone else. It kind of goes along with verse 8. Um, uh, NIV says, He who increases his wealth by exorbitant interest <coughs> amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. And Matthew Henry, or, you know, just in. Uh, reading Matthew Henry's commentary 
um, states. Um, that, that which is ill-got, though it may be increased much, will not last long. A man may perhaps raise a great estate in a little time by unjust gain, extortion, fraud, and oppression of the poor, but it will not continue. He gathers it for himself, but it will, shall prove to have been gathered for somebody else that he has no kindness for. His estate shall go to decay, and another man's shall be raised out of the ruins of it. Sometimes God in his providence so orders, so orders it that that which one got unjustly, another uses charitably. It is strangely turned into the hands of one that will pity the poor and do good with it, and so cut off the entail of the curse with which he brought upon it, who got it by deceit and violence. Um, that's the same providence that punishes the cruel and disables them to do any more hurt, rewards merciful, and enables them to do much more good. Um, and that was referenced in 1924 to him that has 10 pounds, give the pound um, which the wicked servants hid in the napkin for to him that has and uses it well, more shall be given. Oh. And he ended with thus, the poor are repaid, the charitable encouraged, and God is glorified. But that's similar to the verse. Now, I didn't read very Matthew Henry's, but uh, I just put it this way. It's an act of irony on God's part, isn't it? <laughs> if you're stingy, he takes it away from you and gives it to those people who are willing to be, uh, who are willing to share, be charitable. It's just, yeah, it's an act of irony. Did anybody else do that a couple, one? A couple more verses. Um, but Job twenty-seven seventeen says, <laughs> he, meaning the wicked, may prepare it, but the just will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. Um, so, um, and then um, it reminds me of the, um, in the Beatitudes, uh, the process might be slower than we'd like, but it's as sure as, as God's promises in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So what's the uh, biblical mandate about uh, interest? Well, Jews are not not supposed to charge interest to fellow Jews. That's right. They could charge interest to a foreigner, but not a fellow Israelite. Uh, loaning money to a fellow Israelite or loaning food or whatever else was for the purpose of, to meet a need, not for making profit. And uh, there are Christians who have kept up that idea within the church, loaning money to each other, but never at interest. What's usury? Interest. Right. Yes, but it, it has I'm a. It, it is. Interest or in, in many countries, there is a legal. Uh, Excessive interest? Limit on interest mm -hmm. that can be charged for legal loans. Now, I realize when you borrow money from the mafia or something like that, there is no set amount of interest. <laughs> but legally, banks can only charge so much interest. Loan, uh, you know, uh, home loan places can only charge so much interest. Even your credit cards, which go way up, can only charge so much interest by law. Usury is charging more than the legal limit. That's usury, and it's more 
uh, common use. Yes, it is interest, but it's interest in excess of the legal limit. Um, so yes, yeah. By the way, we I think we looked at this Proverbs fourteen thirty one. He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. Yeah. And then Proverbs thirteen twenty two says, "In the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous." Yeah. The second part of that. Yeah. Someone else. I was looking at Proverbs uh, 20.13. says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Before you say anything about that, I grew up hearing this phrase from my mother, your sins will find you out. <laughs> and usually I did get caught. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Um, one of the things that I've found, I've found this to be very true in my life in, in that uh, um, there were sins that I was committing and then whenever I was hiding them, um, I was constantly dealing with more and more um, consequences for them and um, being imprisoned by them. And... Uh, when I chose to start searching to try to get rid of it, uh, to, to find someone who was godly that I can confess them to that would not um, either condone them or, you know, say, oh, it's not so bad. Oh, it's you know, no big deal. Uh, or someone who would keep condemnation on me of saying, you're just a terrible person. Why would you do that? Um, but that would have the... <laughs> The proper balance of yeah that was wrong um how you know, how would you prefer to respond or what 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 would have been the right thing to do and you know how would you, you know, what what are your plans and next time what's you know what do you think is the um you know or here's some suggestions for you know how to overcome those sins or things like that but the idea, the power of confessing sins to uh, to grow and to uh, get, gain power is to some degree in the uh, sense of um, separating yourself from them, condemning them in a way. Um, um, when you confess them in, this, in the context of um, humility, in the context of this was wrong and I'm, I re I, I'm sorry, I regret having done it. And, um, yeah. So, anybody else do that one? One of the things that interested me is in the New American Standard, the he who conceals his transgressions, it's plural, not singular. Not that we shouldn't confess our individual sins, I'm not suggesting that at all. But uh, this is concealing a way of life. Mm -hmm most likely, this particular proverb. Um, and you just, you won't prosper. Why? Because God is against you, for one thing. And as we have seen in history, if not in this life, certainly in the next, but many times in this life, you are found out. And it is a great loss when you are found out. Um, 
But he who confesses and forsakes them, the New American Standard says, not it, but them, again, plural, will find compassion. So, um, yeah, we are confessing the direction that we're going in, or a repeated practice that has done harm to God, others, and uh, that's part of this too. Yeah. So related to that, I was thinking uh, the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was prospering. <laughs> he was, uh, you know, I'm sure overcharging in the taxes because he seemed to say and say that he had been, uh, but he was prospering financially, but he was clearly missing something because you don't just climb trees to look at people, <laughs> you know, because you're too shorty. He was clearly not prospering where it counted most, and he knew it. And so he was looking for something, looking for Jesus. And uh, it was after, it wasn't when he first met Jesus, but it was, it was when he confessed and for, forsook those sins that Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Someone else? You know, you know, I've noticed about the rich. Some some of the richest people are the most insecure people ever. And the people that have not a lot of money are some of the most securest people. That's because they believe in God. All right, let's go to verse 18, because it's uh, easily uh, misunderstood. He who walks blamelessly will be delivered, but he who is crooked will fall all at once. Those who walk blamelessly have God as their deliverer, but that does not mean that They will be delivered from every trial or tribulation or trouble that comes their way. As we know from the word of God, uh, just simply James 1, 2 to 4, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. If God delivered you from everything, you wouldn't grow up. Uh, It's just like if your parents protect you as a child from all of the challenges and difficulties of life, Actually, if they were going to make your life really pleasant, they'd never send you to school or make you study. It's just horrible. It's painful. There's TV. There's uh, video games. There's the Internet. There's uh, other things to do that are so much more fun, right? So it it isn't saving you from every trial or every trouble Mm -hmm. in this life. But if we walk blamelessly, we will experience ongoing deliverance in ways that enable us to deal with life in a godly manner in spite of the trials and troubles that come along. They're not overwhelming. They are not more than we can bear. They're not for our harm, but for our good. Um, And in the end, uh, in eternity, we will be free of trials and troubles and tribulation. So yes, if we walk blamelessly, God does deliver us in many ways, but he's also, keep in mind, delivering us from our own sinfulness, selfishness, 
foolishness when he allows trials and tribulations to come in our life. To fall all at once does not mean falling soon after becoming crooked. It means falling quickly. As we know from the world around us, world history, uh, people can be crooked for a long time. But usually when they fall, it's like what I did today. It's all at once. <laughs> it just happens. And uh, it happens quickly. You have no control over it. Um, and that's the way it is. Think of evil people who have lived by violence and uh, murder. They can be walking home. They can be sitting in their house and an enemy can come and murder them in an instant and their life is over and that's it. They fall all at once. So fall all at once doesn't mean they may not be crooked for quite a while. They might be, but when the end comes, it's usually quick and uh, without notice, it's over. Now, someone else. I just, I know that everything, but that one just strikes me too of um, the, there's such a difference between walking through the trials that you bring upon yourself and the trials that life, God, the devil, anything but your own flesh brings on you. That's such a, it's just such a difference. That, um, and then just I also have thought of my own life, but also other people I've known who, who could, talk a good game and give a good image if they were known in, in weight and measured quantities. But um, but you, to your mom's point, so this is maybe going back like your sins, we'll, we'll find you out. Um, concealing is a way of life. So I'm going back a little bit too, but like that's that's an exhausting game to keep up. That's an exhausting game to keep up. Um, there's such a freedom to, to, to walk through things that you don't choose that are hard. Um, the things that I walk through with, my birth father that were of my hands were were much, much harder than the things that were not of my hands. Those were so different. Um, so that was just, just, just more on that. Anybody else? Well, there's just, uh, there's several verses that in this chapter that talk about making haste to be rich. Uh, and just... Uh, Two of them to mention that I, I just liked how it was stated is he that in verse nineteen he that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that followeth the worthless shall have poverty enough. But you'll have if you if you're faithfully working your land doing your work you'll have enough of what you need. If you follow worthless pursuits you'll have enough of poverty. You know all the poverty that you could want or need you'll have it. <laughs> Uh, and then in verse 20, uh, uh, a faithful man uh, aboundeth with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. And uh, many translations say will not go unpunished, but it uh, equally means will not, shall not be innocent. And that kind of caught my attention, and it made me think, you know, in, in making haste to be rich, there's kind of two, at least two pits that we tend to fall into. One is uh, we invest our money in something that's too good to be true, uh, in which case we tend to lose it uh, because we put our faith in a person or in a, or, or in a scheme uh, that you know was not so good. And that, that person, uh, like uh, w- one example is uh, that's in the news recently is this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, 
He had a cryptocurrency exchange and some other things going on. And it was all a shell game. It looked great. It looked like, wow, he's a financial wizard, a genius. You know, make sure you have your money with him somewhere. And a lot of people lost their money. And now he's been, he's not been found innocent. He's been found guilty and will likely be in prison for a long time. Uh, but then there's the other way is, uh, there's a lot of get get rich quick investments uh, that are that may involve illegal or immoral actions or behaviors. Uh, on the uh, kind of darker side, there's selling illegal drugs. There's uh, smuggling illegal immigrants, which are both things that go on today. Uh, those are ways. Those those are occupations people choose to get rich. Right? They, they're not doing it for the goodness of, of anyone, but for their own wealth. Uh, but they're not going to be found innocent. But not all get-rich-quick schemes are, are like what we would consider that dark appearing. Uh, there's insider trading that goes on. There's uh, pyramid schemes, and those things tend to look pretty good until they're found out to be insider trading and a pyramid scheme, in which case you've usually lost your money, and whoever was in charge is probably going to end up in jail. Uh, anyway, the making haste to be rich, uh, that, you know, whoever, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. And uh, anyway, just caught my attention, and there's plenty of examples in the world today, and I'm sure at that time as well there was plenty of examples of it. Along the same lines of people eager to get rich or wanting to um, get rich quick, uh, most scams out there that you'll get taken advantage of gives a promise of you getting quick, get rich. <laughs> That's the draw. So the people who get caught up in that, who believe, oh, I can get really rich with just a very little effort, you know, by tricking the system in some way or, or by doing things that don't generally lead to that, um, they, they believe in this lie and they're the ones who become susceptible to be taken advantage of. And so the idea that I don't even, even if someone were to offer that, I don't want that because I don't trust it. I don't believe it. And that's not my goal. That's not something I'm looking for. Um, will keep you safe from a lot of, of trickery and, and sorrow, uh, and, and deception in your life. Now, I would say it this way. The, it appeals to our greed and it just, reveals how many of us are greedy, that we are willing to take a risk and not even consider that it is a risk and end up losing so much. Yeah, it definitely takes advantage of people. Um, and yet it's people who are wanting something almost for nothing rather than, yeah. Well, it's, uh, we should end. Thank you so much again for all of your efforts over these 10 weeks. I'm grateful for that and uh, appreciative of all that you've done to prepare and come prepared and to share your views on this. We've got a couple more Sundays before Advent. So uh, next Sunday, I'm intending, at least at this point, to uh, talk about the uh, seven abominations from chapter 6. Uh, and I realize that most of us in this room may think they shouldn't apply to us because we're not that bad. And I'm not suggesting 
any of you are. Uh, but I think we can learn some things about our own attitudes, our own beliefs, our own values from those uh, seven abominations, things that the Lord considers abominable. Uh, so we'll look at that, at least that's my intent. And then uh, the following week, there were some of these Proverbs that I we didn't get to that I would like to uh, at least bring to your attention. So uh, thank you for all of that. Let's uh, pray together.